What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this fascinating video, I share all the latest details of my multi-million dollar dividend portfolio in Fidelity, along with will show you other things dividend investors love to see, like estimates for how my dividend income should snowball as the decades go on. Then I'll end this video telling you about my background and we'll finish things off with a true story about a young guy who worked his way up at McDonald's and ended up building a huge dividend snowball, so I recommend you watch this from start to end. But first I have a simple request and that's to hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Also please share this video or my channel with someone you know, as that's a great way you can help me as well as show others what's possible if you invest for a long time. And to kick things off, I feel the need to say that a key goal I have in life is to influence others to invest, as I want everyone to have a better financial future. Investing has been such a positive life-changing aspect for me that I want to encourage everyone out there to start and stick with it. I don't care what you invest in as long as you research things and understand the risks you're taking in whatever you do. I've come to prefer decent dividend stocks for my investments as I love the pension-like truly passive income stream that they've created for me and my family and I'm confident enough in them that I retired in my 40s once my dividend income was more than my expenses. I also want to say that I recognize that some people will see a video like this and will think that some dude is trying to flex his portfolio over the internet. But the truth is that I value humble people and have no compulsion to brag and instead hope to simply show what's possible if you invest consistently over a lifetime. And bottom line, it doesn't matter how big your portfolio is or how big mine is, it just matters if you're striving to be better tomorrow than you are today. Okay, let's jump into my broker Fidelity and then I'll show you some neat data about my dividend portfolio using my dividend spreadsheet product. So this is my dividend portfolio as of September 5th and you can see that I have three dividend accounts that add up to 2.8 million US dollars. I've blacked out some info on these upcoming screenshots like things that show my account numbers. I have $1.25 million of dividend stocks in my IRA, which isn't a Roth because Roths didn't exist when I started investing, and I made the mistake of not starting one when I found out about them. I have $1.39 million of dividend stocks in my taxable account, and I have about $169,000 worth of dividend stocks in a retirement account for my wife that I manage. My wife's hourly jobs over the years often didn't have 401ks, and I made the mistake of not focusing on building her retirement account that much as the years went on. A big difference between me and my wife is that generally I prefer not to work, but she loves it. Like she loves chatting with co-workers and customers and stuff, and she hopes to do that as long as she can. In fact, when the lottery got over a billion dollars this year, I asked my wife if she'd keep working if she wanted, and she said yes, which blew my mind. We actually don't play the lottery other than when we buy a few tickets as stocking stuffers at Christmas. Anyways, the markets closed red when I took the screenshot, which is why each account is down for that day. Across all three accounts I was down about 0.44%, which means I was down around 12 grand from the previous market close. You'll find that the longer you invest, the larger your portfolio tends to get, and the larger your daily swings will be when markets go up or down, and, if you're like me, you eventually won't care if your portfolio goes up or down on any given day or month or whatever. You especially won't care if you're a dividend investor, because good dividend income tends to trend up over time, regardless of the swings in the market. That's not a guarantee, of course, but nothing in investing is a guarantee. Okay, and then this is what it looks like for me in Fidelity when I click the balances link. So it shows the balance on each of my accounts, which also includes the overall change based on market movement. You can see that my IRA ended at 1.25 million and it was down 6,100 bucks relative to the last close. This also shows that I have 502 bucks available to trade in that account and it went up $205.41 today. The 20541 is from a Pfizer dividend I got in my IRA account, and before I got that dividend I had $296 of cash in there from a prior dividend. 
And then this activity link shows that dividend from Pfizer that I got in my IRA, along with some other recent dividends. When dividends first show up in Fidelity, they have a processing status as you see here, and then around 10 p.m. Pacific on the payout date, they become withdrawable in your account. So looking over these recent IRA dividends, we also see the next one is a small $1.22 interest from SPACs, which is a Fidelity money market account where my dividends go until I withdraw them, assuming I don't have my drip on, which I no longer have on since I'm retired and withdrawing my dividends to pay bills. After SPACs, we see a $164 dividend from Starbucks, $131 from British American Tobacco, $269 from Caterpillar, $319 from Apple, and $526 from Realty Income. I actually get most of my dividends from my taxable account, which I'll show you in a moment, and I've set up that account so that as dividends come in, it automatically transfers them into my bank checking account. But I also withdraw dividends from my retirement accounts, and I'm doing that before age 59 and a half, which means I pay a 10% tax penalty on those dividends. The majority of my taxable account dividends are basically tax-free, since they're almost all qualified dividends and I don't have a job. That being said, I plan to talk to my tax guy in March about me potentially doing a 72T, which lets me withdraw from my retirement accounts without paying that additional 10% tax penalty. Okay, now let's look at my dividend stocks starting with my IRA account. I'll just go over a few stocks in each account in Fidelity, but then I'll go over each position in my spreadsheet tool, as that's an easier way to see how many total shares I have. So this is what Fidelity calls its dividend view, and I've sorted things by ticker, alphabetically, and this is the first of two pages of stocks in my IRA. Across all my accounts, I own 27 tickers, and you'll find that I have many of the same stocks in my retirement account as my taxable account. The first ticker you see is SPACs, and it's saying I have $502 of cash in it. You can see that it has a nice 4.98% yield, though I'd guess that it will slowly trend down in the upcoming months. A question I sometimes get is why don't I sell out of everything and just go into a higher yield money market now that rates are high, and one key reason is that over the long run I'm confident that I'll do better simply staying invested in stocks rather than trying to time the market and sell out of things when rates are high. I also have some health issues which causes me to avoid wanting to muck with my portfolio if at all possible, as it increases the risk that my family could get impacted long term if it isn't in stocks. Plus if I sold all of my taxable stocks, then I'd have to pay a ton in taxes. There are some other reasons, but hopefully you get the gist of things. Okay, and the first stock in my IRA is Apple, and I own 1,330 shares of it in this account, which is about 252 grand worth, which is 20% of the market value of my IRA. And we see that it has a tiny yield of 0.51%, which translates into it yielding $1,276 a year. You'll find that most of my positions are whole shares in my accounts, because when I transferred from E-Trade to Fidelity, the fractional ones didn't transfer, and I turned off my drips at that point since I was using my dividend income. Thus, the only stocks I own that have fractional shares are ones that I added to since I moved. Now, a common question I sometimes get is why do I have some super low-yield stuff as a dividend investor? And the answer is that I have enough income even being in low-yield stuff, and so this way I can have my income and I can get some stock appreciation. However, if I wanted more income, then I'd be fine to trim some shares of lower yielding things to get into higher yielding things, as long as they're still decent stocks. Moving on, next is 36 grand of AbV yielding $1,462 a year, then a small position of BTI yielding $621. My taxable account is where I hold most of my BTI, as you'll see. Note, Fidelity doesn't automatically update the estimated annual dividend income for my international stocks based on changing currency conditions, but my spreadsheet does, which is why my BTI estimated income in my spreadsheet will be different than what's listed here. Since I'll go over the totals in my spreadsheet, I'll just quickly tell you the remaining positions on this page of my IRA for now, which are Caterpillar, Colgate Palmolive, Chevron, Duke Energy, Goldman Sachs, J&J, and Kimberly Clark. Okay, let's move on. 
So here's the next page of dividend stocks in my IRA account in Fidelity. And you can see that this account is worth 1.25 million US dollars. And overall, they yield $34,235 a year in dividends. Here we see the Kimberly Clark position I already showed you, along with Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Altria, Microsoft, Realty Income, Pepsi, Pfizer, Procter & Gamble, Starbucks, Southern Company, Toronto Dominion Bank, and ExxonMobil. Okay, now let's move on to my taxable account. Here I start with 408 shares of Apple worth 77 grand and which yields $391 a year. Then AbbVie at about 61 grand worth yielding $2,462 a year. Then about 85 grand of BTI yielding about $9,000 a year. Then we see Colgate Palmolive, Chevron, and Duke Energy. Oh, and one position that I have in my tax world that's not in my IRA is Enterprise Products Partners, ticker EPD, where I own about 128 grand of it and it yields over 9,500 bucks a year. And I believe that those dividends will end up being tax-free for me because its payouts should be return of capital for the next decade or so. Then I have J&J, Kimberly Clark, Coca-Cola, and McDonald's. Moving on to the next page of my dividend stocks in my taxable account, we see that in total it adds up to $1.39 million worth, and overall it yields almost 61 grand a year in dividends. So the remaining positions in this account are Altria, Microsoft, Realty Income, Pepsi, Procter & Gamble, Philip Morris, SCHD, Southern Company, and ExxonMobil. And for fun, here are the most recent dividends I've gotten in my taxable account. So like on August 23rd, I got a dividend from BTI for $1,915, then 55 cents of interest income, then a $98 dividend from Apple, followed by a tiny dividend from Realty Income. I recently started buying a bit of O in my taxable account because I like the prices so much, even though the tax on REITs in taxable accounts aren't as good as qualified dividends, which is why I hold the lion's share of Realty Income in my retirement accounts. Next up is a $292 dividend from Procter & Gamble, $196 from Colgate Palmolive, and $615 from AbbVie. Okay, next is my wife's retirement account, Fidelity, which has a market value of 169 grand and yields $7,400 of dividends per year. It has AbbVie, BTI, Home Depot, J&J, Altria, Realty Income, Toronto Dominion Bank, and Travelers Companies. So if you add up the estimated annual dividend amounts from those three accounts, you'd end at 102 grand a year, though my spreadsheet will more accurately estimate it at $100,800 a year because of currency fluctuations from BTI as well as from Toronto Dominion Bank, which you might have noticed in my second page of my IRA stocks. Okay, and here are the latest dividends from my wife's retirement account. We see some small ones from SPACs and BTI, followed by $187 from O and $398 from AbbVie. Okay, now let's jump into my dividend spreadsheet product. As most of you know, my spreadsheet is something I sell as one of the monthly benefits I give to my Patreon aristocrats and kings, i.e. the people whose names are scrolling on my video. You see a lot of red in this sheet because I took it on Tuesday, September 5th, which was a down day in the markets and only Apple, Microsoft, and J&J were green on the screenshot, though I have another page of stocks I'll show you in a moment. I sorted this list based on my largest positions first rather than alphabetically like I had in Fidelity. Apple is my largest position, and the color of the ticker automatically updates based on the stock's pay date. So if it's highlighted in green, it means it's paying today. If it's a cyan color, then it means it's paying out within the week. And if it's highlighted in yellow, it means it's paying out within a month. If there's no highlight, it means the payout is over a month away. As someone who lives on their dividends, I find having that quick visual indicator a useful reminder. So this says that across all my accounts, I have 1,738 shares of Apple, which is 11.7% of my stocks. And I have a guideline where I don't like any position to get too much larger than 10%. Then you see pricing information, which updates automatically throughout the trading day. So like Apple closed at $189.72 a share, which means it gained 26 cents that day, which is an increase of 0.14%, thus my position grew by 451 bucks. 
Then we have the market value of the position, and so in this case you see that I have about 329 grand of Apple. Then we have exdate and paydate, which has the same color coding as the ticker, and then dividends paid out per pay period, where a pay period is usually every quarter or every month. So we see that Apple pays me about 417 bucks each time it pays out quarterly, which means it pays me about 1668 bucks a year. My next largest position is 262 grand of Microsoft, yielding 2100 bucks a year. Then 163 grand of Altria, yielding $14,500 a year. Then 157 grand of Realty Income, yielding $8,700 a year, which is $727 a month. Then 155 grand of J&J, yielding $4,600 a year. Followed by 137 grand of ExxonMobil, yielding $4,400 a year. Then 136 grand of Abvi, yielding $5,500 a year. Followed by 134 grand of Pepsi, yielding $3,800 a year. Then 128 grand of EPD yielding 9,500 bucks a year. Then 117 grand of Procter and Gamble yielding 2,900 bucks a year. Then 114 grand of McDonald's yielding 2,500 bucks a year. Then 98 grand of Coca-Cola yielding 3 grand a year. Then 93 grand of Duke Energy yielding 4,400 bucks a year. Followed by 92 grand of BTI yielding 8,100 bucks a year. Now I'll move to the last page of my positions. So next we see 88 grand of SCHD yielding almost 3100 bucks a year. Then 84 grand of Chevron yielding 3 grand a year. Followed by 74 grand of Southern Company yielding 3100 bucks a year. Then 71 grand of Kimberly Clark yielding 2600 bucks a year. 63 grand of Philip Morris yielding 3400 bucks a year. 58 grand of Caterpillar yielding about 1100 bucks a year. 57 grand of Goldman Sachs yielding almost $2000 a year. 49 grand of Toronto Dominion Bank yielding almost 2300 bucks a year. 49 grand of Colgate Palmolive yielding almost 1300 bucks a year. 33 grand of Home Depot yielding 836 bucks a year. 30 grand of Starbucks yielding 659 bucks a year. 25 grand of Travelers yielding 620 bucks a year and 18 grand of Pfizer yielding 821 bucks a year. So in total that's 31,435 shares of stock worth 2.8 million US dollars yielding $100,869 a year in dividends, which is an average weighted dividend yield of only 3.58%, with an average weighted dividend category of 7.35%. And if you're itching to leave me a comment saying that you know how I could be making a lot more in dividends with $2.8 million invested, then instead watch a video I did called, Why I Choose Not to Make $325,000 a Year in Dividends. Okay, and I have a bunch of other data for each ticker that I won't bother showing in this video, but that includes things like current PE, beta, the sector the stocks are in, etc. Here's the dividend calendar view you'll see if you scroll to the right of my positions, and the middle column is highlighted in green, which is September, so that's the current month we're in. So columns to the left represent actual dividends I received in months going back, whereas columns to the right of the middle current month are dividends I should be getting in the future. At the bottom are the totals for each month, so like I should be getting $9,581 in dividends this month. Last month in August I got $8,450 in dividends, and next month in October I should get $7,196 in dividends. And if you made it to this part of the video and your comment finger is poised to tell me how useless dividends are, or that all that happens is that the stock price drops so dividends are irrelevant, or some other insightful comment, then I'd ask you to instead watch my other videos where I explain why dividends do more for me than you might be thinking. Anyways, this bottom part shows how my dividend income is expected to trend month over month, and this doesn't include any anticipated dividend hikes. And I expect Microsoft to announce a dividend hike this month, and I expect McDonald's to announce one, and Philip Morris and probably Starbucks. My spreadsheet will automatically pick up dividend increases and then will update your future payout months. 
It's really cool to see your dividend income grow over time by merely waiting, and it's cool to see it grow even faster when you're investing more. But again, there are never any guarantees with investing. Okay, and if you look how my dividend income is expected to trend month over month, we see that I get about $9,600 one month, then $7,200 the next month, and then $8,400. And then those three amounts keep repeating, so the fourth month is back to $9,600 and then $7,200, etc. All of which adds up to a bit over $100,000 a year. And the annual dividend amount can slightly change based on currency fluctuations when I take these screenshots, along with based on if you're looking at four 12-month estimates versus last six plus future six. And moving on, this fund data represents estimates of how my dividend income will trend year over year based on if I don't have a drip on, which is the top line, or if I am reinvesting dividends with a the drip, then it's the bottom line. So you can see in the current year I'm a little over 100k of annual income, and if my dividend hikes happen as they historically have happened, then next year I'd make 108 grand, then 116 grand a year, etc. At year 10, I'd be making about 205 grand a year, which is pretty crazy, and that's even with me using all my dividends and not investing a dime. If I turned my drips on and was reinvesting dividends, then my income grows a lot faster. Like in year 10, I'd be at 287 grand a year if I was dripping, versus 205 grand a year by not dripping. If we go out even further, then the numbers get ridiculously huge, though the further you go out with estimates, the less likely they are to be accurate. But if dividend CAGRs held, then by year 30 I'd be making 844 grand a year of dividends, or an insane 2.2 million a year in dividends if I was dripping the whole time. Talk about crazy. And here's a graph comparing that no drip dividend growth in the blue line to drip dividend growth in the red line, which visually shows you how reinvesting your dividends can snowball your income much faster, as you'd guess. Back on this page, we see that right now I average about $8,400 a month in dividends, which is almost $2,000 a week, or $276 a day, which is about $11.51 an hour, every hour, year-round, with no vacations or sickness or whatever. That roughly translates into $64 an hour for a normal job, though that also assumes all qualified dividends. The wage hourly income estimate is just for fun because there are so many variables in play for each person, but whatever it is, you can't be true passive income. Okay, and here's a graph that is dynamically created that shows my portfolio value by sector. So you can see how tech is my biggest sector at 21%, followed by consumer stables at 16%, and then energy at 12%. And then this is a passive income percentage by sector graph, and we can see that since stocks are at 26%, and then energy stocks provide about 17% of my dividend income, and consumer stables is about 14%. If I was young, then I'd not have any sin stocks, but being retired, I'm cool with it. There are a bunch of other useful tools and graphs in my spreadsheet product, but hopefully you get the gist of things. Now before I tell you about my background, I want to tell you a supposedly true story I heard about a guy named Robert who started working at McDonald's in 1999 at age 14. I didn't realize that you could legally work that young in the US, and so I looked it up and apparently a variety of companies in the US will hire 14 year olds. Like here's a wage chart that shows that 14 year olds can get hired at certain McDonald's and make $9.25 an hour in 2023. But in 1999, minimum wage was $5.15 an hour, and that's what Robert started at. For years he worked at McDonald's, and he figured he'd go to college after he graduated high school. But when he turned 18, McDonald's offered him a manager position, so he stayed on working rather than go the college route. Now, one of the perks of being a manager at McDonald's was that they allowed you to buy a company's stock at a 10% discount. And fortunately, 18-year-old Robert decided to start investing 25% of his paycheck into buying McDonald's stock. The year was 2003, and for reference McDonald's was trading at $13.54 a share, which means that with his 10% discount he could buy each share for only 12 bucks. Robert stayed on at McDonald's for the next 15 years, and he eventually got promoted to regional manager where he was in charge of 15 McDonald's stores. 
And in researching this story, I read that McDonald's will sometimes have their restaurants in locations that lose money, but they'll keep them there if they feel that it's important to have a presence in that geographic area in question. Apparently what McDonald's really cares about are for their regions to do well, and a single store sometimes serves other strategic interests than just top and bottom line impacts, including ensuring that McDonald's restaurants are all over and accessible. Anyways, Robert kept working at McDonald's until he was 34 years old, which brings us to 2019, which is when he retired. Apparently in the 16 years that he'd been putting 25% of his paycheck into McDonald's, he'd gotten almost 10,000 shares with the Golden Arches, and I'm guessing that he also had some stock option grants along the way. We saw that I have 410 shares of McDonald's and each one goes for $279 today, so I own about 114 grand of McDonald's. But if Robert had 10,000 shares, then they'd be worth about $2.8 million today. And since each share of McDonald's yields $6.08 in dividends per year, that means a snowball would be pulling in around 60 grand a year of delicious McDonald's dividends. So the next time you grab a yummy cheeseburger at McDonald's, you can be assured that both Robert and I will be thanking you for attending one of our restaurants. Now, of course, I'd not recommend that anyone go all in on one stock, and I actually don't know if he diversified into other things, but hopefully you'll see that consistent investing into decent assets over a long period of time can yield really great results. Okay, and with that I'll quickly go over some of my background. So I'm self-made, never won a lottery or been given a dime, and in fact started with a negative net worth since my wife had a bunch of credit card debt when we got married. My first job was as a programmer in the 90s after I graduated from college, and I eventually moved into technology management. The reason I started investing was because a guy on the first team I worked with recommended I invest, and other programmers often talked about investing when we all went to lunch. Interestingly, my dad used to say that the stock market was like gambling, so he wasn't a fan of it and to this day my parents have zero dollars invested in stocks. Over time I got more into investing and actually started a stock investment club with some friends in the 90s where we'd meet up for dinner and chat about what stocks we should invest in, and we had a minimum amount that each person had to invest each month. After the dot-com bomb hit, we dissolved our club, and some of those guys never invested again. I know this because I ran into one of them about a year ago, and he told me that he'd never gotten into investing again because the market crash of 2000 was too much of a gut punch for him. You see, we were primarily investing in technology companies back then, so our club portfolio, which we all had fractional ownership in, ended up getting hit even harder than the indexes did. Fortunately, we also invested in some classic SP500 companies, which held up way better. And that was a key learning opportunity for me, seeing how dividend stocks lost less than speculative stocks. Kinda obvious, but until it happens it didn't really sink in for me. The reality is that some dividend stocks have been around the block, flourishing through decades of volatile times, so I'm happy investing in mostly decent dividend stocks, though most people will do better simply going with broad market ETFs. And you can watch my other videos to understand why I don't do that. Bottom line, I advocate for a get-rich-slowly way of investing, which has a good probability of working, as opposed to a get-rich-quick way, which almost never works. And a takeaway from all that is that big market crashes will invariably happen, and you need to be mentally prepared for that so you don't quit. Real wealth is made by sticking with investing when times are tough, not just investing when times are easy. And that brings me to today, where I've been investing for around 30 years, and about half my current portfolio just came from steady Eddie 401k contributions, which I'd roll over into a retirement account when I left jobs, and the other half of my portfolio came from deposits into a taxable account over a long period of time. I rarely maxed out my annual retirement contribution amounts over the years because I didn't make enough salary to do so, and frankly I cared more about cars and travel and gaming and girls than I did about investing. Feel free to watch a video I did called How to Become a Millionaire if you want to hear more about the specifics on what I did. Whenever I came into bigger amounts of cash, like from selling a house or from job bonuses, then I'd often invest those as lump sums into my portfolio. 
I've gotten a lot of experience with all sorts of assets over the decades and came to prefer the passive income and no stress from dividends over anything else. I've been married for over two decades now and have an awesome wife and two great kids. I retired three years ago when my dividend income made enough money to cover my expenses and I started my YouTube channel as a way to teach my kids how to invest once they got old enough to care, as well as to show them how to build a business online. I plan to do a video next month to mark my three-year retirement video, which I'll call what I learned living on dividends for three years, so look for that. Now sometimes I'll get a comment that says you're not retired if you're doing YouTube, and I'll tell you why I disagree with that. Working for me was something I never wanted to do, but did to make money. So while it's true I put a lot of time into YouTube, it's something I do as a passion hobby to influence others to invest, and I do it because it's a great way I can teach my kids about starting something from scratch, but it's not something I have to do to make money. But as a longtime role-playing gamer, I love to see my numbers go up, whether that's my character level or damage output or YouTube subscriber counts and viewing hours. Plus, I'm someone who researches things and loves pouring over data, and a known reality of retirement is that many people who don't keep their minds engaged can end up not being happy. So my social media stuff is also a way to keep my mind learning and growing. Otherwise, I'd probably spend too much time vegging on Netflix and video games, which I still do a lot of. Now I feel like my calling in life is to spread the word about how wonderful and impactful it is to invest in solid dividend companies. I've experienced that dividends are an amazing way to create your own pension-like stream of income, and even a small amount of passive income can start lowering your stresses about money, your job, and your future. And while nothing is a guarantee, I'm proof that living on decent dividends works. Anyways, another common question I get is if I think using options like covered calls is a good way to make more income. And the answer is yes if you do it carefully. And you can watch a video I did called Why Dividends Are 10 Times Better Than Active Income, which explains why I used to do options but no longer do. Make sure you research and educate yourself before trying options, and then go slow and stay small. Options are about probabilities and risk versus reward, and many people do great with options. However, sometimes people get overzealous or don't moderate what they're doing, or go after riskier things like shorting stocks or writing naked calls, and unfortunately they can lose big. Bottom line, I'm happy to have gotten to a point where I don't need to do anything I don't want with my time, and still my expenses get paid for my dividends. I mean, I've gotten some insane offers on LinkedIn to do consulting work due to my background, and I always have turned down those offers because I have the luxury of being retired and doing nothing, and that's way better than having to do something to make money, at least for me. And now I'll end things with a shout out to Lieutenant Dan, who just signed up for an entire year as a Patreon aristocrat. Aristocrats get access to my dividend spreadsheet product that I use in my videos, and they gain access to multiple private channels on my dividend discord chat server, where I let my upper tier patreons watch my videos before I release them to the public, as well as let them vote on which thumbnails I use for my videos. I also add my aristocrats my scrolling news ticker, if I still have space on it, and of course they get more direct access to me. I'd also like to thank my all-star patreons, i.e. those supporters that have been signed up to my patreon for over a year and continue to stay on board. First, I'd like to thank my longtime kings, which are my highest tier of Patreon supporters. I'd also like to thank my longtime aristocrats. And I'd like to thank my champions as well. Thanks, folks. I really appreciate your long-term support. Finally, I'd like to thank Seeking Alpha, who sponsors me. I paid for their premium membership for years because I value their articles and associated comments so much. And these days, I'd literally never buy or sell a stock without first reviewing what Seeking Alpha had on it. Whatever you do, please hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. And I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has over 10,000 dividend investors on it from 76 countries around the world. Also, please throw me a follow at GenXDividend on Twitter. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.